listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. I'm Tim Fredericks, your host, along with my co-host, Fran Gavin, here in the studio on the campus of Centenary University with another one of our shows that's been curated by our doctoral uh, students here at Centenary University. Today's show is being curated by a doctoral student, Krista Wayne. And at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Krista to introduce uh, our guests uh, for this evening. Krista? Hi. So tonight we have Angela Sotablers. Angela has been the school counselor at Lepakong Elementary School for seven years. Prior to coming to Lepakong, she worked for New Jersey Youth Corps for eight years as a counselor. And Angela resides in Washington Township with her husband and two children. We also have Vanessa Mace. Vanessa Mace was an accountant for 25 years. She's been married for 34 years, and she's the mother of three and the grandmother to six. Vanessa is the handler for Lennox, the therapy dog at Lepakong. Vanessa started training her five-year-old German shepherd, Lennox, when he was just a puppy. They are certified members of the Alliance of Therapy Dogs. Um, Vanessa and Lennox have experience in retirement homes, rehab facilities, shelters, and schools. Vanessa and Lennox started visiting Lepakong in January. Her goal for the future is to give back to the community and help make people encounter just a bit happier. So um, pandemic learning has affected students across the country and the world. In March of 2020, schools were forced to shift to virtual learning while families were quarantined. Over the course of the next few years, students were slowly brought back into their school buildings but instruction was modified to accommodate the requirements of social distancing mandated by the state. Teachers are forced to shift their instruction and teaching styles from collaborative to more direct and independent. Students did not have the opportunity to engage with their peers in normal social um, settings, resulting in lack of social and conflict resolution skills. This year was the first school year since 2020 in which the students returned to a collaborative learning environment. The Lepakong Township School District made it a priority to focus on social and emotional learning this year. And I, as the new elementary school principal, have incorporated social emotional learning into the weekly schedule for the first time. Um, the school counselor, Angela Sotablers, and I have recently implemented the Pika Pack program, a social emotional learning program that also collects student data. In addition, I have also brought on Vanessa and Lennox as a therapy dog to the school. So I selected this topic for tonight um, for this leadership segment because I'm a new leader at Lopakong this year. It is my first year as a school principal. I had worked at Lopakong for 15 years as an educator, um, mostly in the early primary grades. I also taught of STEAM and gifted and talented. So I have experience from pre-K through grade four. And as I shifted to the leader of the school, um, more often than not, they suggest that you kind of sit back and get a pulse for the school and what your school needs are when you start as a leader in a leadership role, like an administrator or principal. But I had so much experience in the school for years that I, I kind of could start making changes right away. So social emotional learning was really, really important to me. And I knew that it was something that the students desperately needed. So I didn't really waste any time. I took that new vision of the school and for the school district for this year, and I kind of ran with it 
and implemented the new SEL blocks into the schedule. Uh, Angela and I have started with the Pika Pack and we brought Vanessa in too. So it's really been a team effort along with the teachers and obviously the rest of administration. So my first segment here, I'm going to have Angela speak with me a little bit about social emotional learning. Um, so Angela, can you give me a brief description of what social emotional learning means? And we'll refer to it as SEL. <laughs> that's what social emotional learning is short. That's kind of how we refer to it in the educational world. So can you give me a brief description of SEL? So sure, social emotional learning is really tying in what we are feeling emotionally and how it impacts us socially. So uh, for example, a, a student, let's say a kindergartner, um, may be feeling sad in the classroom, really not sure why. That outward sadness then can maybe impact how they interact with their peers, how they interact with their teachers. So it is really important to start as early as we can to get students and children to understand their emotions and then use those skills to socially and effectively communicate what they need. This year, Lopacon put a focus on SEL. Why do you think SEL is so important right now more than ever? So coming back to school in the middle of a pandemic and now getting into post-pandemic settings, it's become evident that especially our younger students um, don't know or haven't figured out how to interact uh, appropriately. Or if you know they are crying in the middle of a class, other students don't know how to react to them, um, maybe show empathy towards them. So in, in doing so, um, we're hoping to um, guide our students into just being the best version of themselves and um, expressing how they feel. So just to give everybody a little bit of a background, if you're not familiar with the primary educational setting, Usually our, especially our lower primary students, the teachers always had them seated in groups, whether it be at tables or the desks together in groups, because so much of our instruction revolves around collaboration and it had always been best practice. Um, even the teachers, you know, you're being observed and best practice that the administrators are looking for is collaboration and the students working together and helping each other when they get stuck helping each other when they're trying to find their materials. That was such a big piece of our educational setting. And then the pandemic hit and the students were either at home or when we came back to the building, they were separated by six feet, seated at desks with, um, what would you call them, boards, Angela? The, like the partitions. The partitions. partitions kind of yeah, around them. So they could barely even see each other. So not only was there a shift in their mindset, but also the teachers. The teachers were struggling with uh, just their instruction in general. There were huge, huge times or uh, lengths of times throughout the day where the students would be working in pairs, working in groups, collaborating while the teachers were working in small groups. And now that wasn't there. So the students lost all of that time collaborating and now they're thrown back together in a normal setting and they kind of don't know how to deal with one another, especially that conflict management piece. So 
What I'm kind of seeing too, which I know that you are, um, we're seeing students not being able to problem solve or manage their conflict and it's resulting in office referral referrals or code of conduct and it's showing it's it, the teachers think that it is uh, student misconduct or behavioral issues. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, um, I can remember when we first started kind of coming back to school um, and I'm thinking of a third grade class in particular. The last time that they were in a school, they were kindergartners. So they miss out on a lot of just school experiences. Um, the first time we brought this class out for recess, um, just kind of stepping back and observing, they didn't know how to play with one another. Um, the concept of just rules on a playground, taking turns, that was something very foreign to them. Um, so we actually stopped and had a whole class on just what to do on a playground. Um, and, and those simple things we took for granted. So now coming back into school, we as adults, the things that we take for granted that we just know how to do, we really had to stop and break down each process for bringing our children back to class. Um, something as simple as a lot of computer work. Students were never really on computers all day long, but now this is kind of like the norm. Um, to that point, students may feel what you know we can look at as anxiety maybe there's something timed and you know having to beat the clock really makes them feel panicked or pressured um so those kinds of behaviors when we're they're sensing panic and pressure can come out to i don't want to do this so that may look as defiance so teachers will send them to the office um this child's refusing to do work well why so now that's that's where we come in we have to kind of figure out the why for that child if it's something that's making them nervous, that's not an office referral. That's something we need to step back and say, why is this making you nervous? Really connect with that student to help them process that nervousness and then have them restore that confidence that, you know, this is something I can do. Speaking to the SEL again, I know that sometimes parents have questions about the SEL and they're unsure what it means. If the students really need it, is this taking away from academic time? I can remember as a student myself, my parents would talk about the quote unquote new math. This new math isn't what our math was. You know, if it's something that is different from how they learn, sometimes they question it. So how do you talk to parents about SEL if they are kind of questioning its importance? Mm -hmm. Sure, you know, there, there's kind of this stigma around, you know, quote unquote, counseling and counseling in schools. Um, I think it's important for parents to understand that, um, you know, just because a student comes to talk to me about something, it, it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, declaring their child with a diagnosis. You know, we don't do that in schools. It's simply a platform for them to talk about their feelings. Um, you know, maybe a stu other student is bothering them. Maybe, you know, this one said I, they don't want to be my friend anymore. That triggers all kinds of things in students. School is a place to be safe. School is a place to come to maybe get away from something that is bothering you at home and then to find that safe person to talk to. In okay. order to kind of get parents on board and to support us, to help them to support their children, we need to have this open dialogue. 
you know, myself as a parent, my same thing, my student comes home and like, I, I, I just, I don't understand this. I don't know how to help them. But we have to seek out and be able to ask those questions. We tell our students all the time, if you don't understand something, ask. Parents should be following that advice too. If we don't understand something, let's ask and have a conversation so we can all best support this student. Um, you know, if if a child is, is sitting in the middle of class and all they keep thinking about is a student two desks over them, well, they said this morning that they don't like me anymore. What does that mean? How do we expect them to concentrate on that, the academics? They're, they're not focused on their spelling tasks. They're worried about, you know, a friend said that they don't like me anymore. Right. But, so that but brings me kind of to my next uh, point here, how social and emotional development is directly related to academic success. Mm -hmm. So you you're know, kind of speaking to that. Yeah, let's think of as adults, right? We get up in the morning and you know, the coffee pot isn't working. Then we go out and our car battery doesn't start. And then we hit trap. Just those snowball effects can kind of put you in a bad mood. The same can happen with a student. They get up in the morning, maybe the parents were rushing them a little bit, they didn't get to have breakfast. The zipper on their coat got stuck, they missed the bus. Anything off their schedule definitely will affect their, their mindset as well. Um, so again, it goes point, if they, if, if we're not looking at the child as a whole, mentally, physically, socially, emotionally, how then are we gonna meet them academically? Absolutely. And that's why I love the Pika Pack program that you and Stacy have brought to the district. The Pika Pack program collects data on the students. So we can kind of track the students' social and emotional mindset on a daily basis and kind of track it over time to see if there's patterns. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So the, the fun part of Pika Pack is every day or weekly when a student logs on, the first thing that they do before they can get into any program is they have to do a feelings check-in. How are you feeling today? Happy, excited, calm, nervous, sad? And it really helps me and the teacher track any change in behaviors um, and kind of get ahead of it a little bit. So if I see on there for two weeks in a row, a child has clicked excited and all of a sudden now we're sad, I can have a private conversation with that student. Hey, Sophie, I see that you were really excited and happy the last two weeks. Why are you feeling sad today? And maybe something is developing at home that it's been an adult conversation right now, but students always, you know, kids pick up on those adult words and conversations, but they can't process them the way that adults do. So, mm -hmm. we, you know, I heard mom and dad saying something about moving. I don't want to move. I don't want to leave my friends. Mm -hmm. So, hey, then I, that's a great starter piece for me to then make that connection with the parents too. Hey, you know, mom and dad, I just want to let you know, I had this conversation with your student this, this morning. This is how they're feeling. And it could be something, oh, we weren't talking about them. We, you know, our neighbors are moving. And it's a great way to tie in that communication, again, between the parent and the student. So I'm wondering if that data, that data collection over time, so we just started this Pika Pack processor prog, uh, program. I'm wondering if this Pika Pack over time is going to lend itself to specific units or specific lessons for the grade levels. I'm wondering if tracking this over time is going to show that students in third and fourth grade who, you know, they really were locked down during the early primary years because of COVID-19, I wonder if they are going to have 
different needs than say a kindergarten or first grade student that is kind of starting out their elementary school career per se and have experience kind of in a normal setting. Do you think that, that we're gonna see patterns like that? I'm, I'm hoping so. And the nice thing about this Pika Path program is to, um, while we have it at the elementary school, the middle school also has the exact same program. So while yes. we're using these terms and phrases in elementary school, when they get into middle school, they're going to hear the same kinds of terms and phrases. So that collaboration and cohesiveness is going to carry them through um, their time here at Lopacon School District. Right. So with, with that in mind, yes, our third graders, they struggle a lot with uh, problem solving, peer conflict resolution, sometimes even personal conflict resolution. So our goal with these lessons is to bring self-awareness. Now, the lessons, let me explain for a minute, are broken down into four-week se segments. So when we start the conflict resolution um, topic, there's a short little introduction. Every, every week, every lesson starts off with a letter, gives them a, a prequel, if you will, of what we're going to learn. Then the following week, um, we kind of get into the, to the meat of it. Ha if you have this problem, here are some ways you can solve it. The following week is the application. Okay, we, we gave you this scenario last week. Now let's see how you're going to apply it. And the final week is then bringing it all together, um, giving them scenarios, letting them work together as a team in a... Um, Avatar kind of world called Peekaville. So they'll log on to Peekaville and there'll be a problem waiting for them. And together as a class, they have to work through the game to solve it. I love how they're working together in a, a certain aspect of the Pika Pack. Well, this is probably a great time for us to take a break. You've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. We will be right back. And we're back on Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. I'm Tim Fredericks, your host. In the studio here on campus at uh, Centenary in Hackettstown, along with my co-host, uh, Fran Gavin, and doctoral student Krista Wayne, who is, uh, has two very special guests in the studio, and I'll turn it right back to Krista. Okay, so Angela, just to wrap up about Pika Pack a little bit and the social emotional learning that we're doing at LaPacong, Angela also does a mindful uh, Monday segment on our Good Morning Lopat announcement. So we have a group of students, Mrs. O'Toblers here, uh, does a segment called Mindful Monday on Good Morning Lopat. Good Morning Lopat is a group of students and they do video announcements every day. So each Monday, uh, Mrs. O'Toblers does a Mindful Monday segment and addresses a different social emotional concept. So I'm just thinking about how Pika Pack could kind of drive that as well. What do you think, Angela? So, so this um, past week, we just celebrated the Great Kindness Challenge. Um, so for that segment, um, when we went into um, Pika Pack that week, they had a supplemental lesson on kindness. I was like, yes, great. I love already how we are tying all of this in and making it useful and um, meaningful. So when I went on to Mindful Monday, it was to introduce our Great Kindness Challenge, remind our students that just because we're doing the Great Kindness Challenge for a week, that kindness doesn't stop there. They need to every day, 
put their best foot forward to just, you know, treat everybody with a little bit of kindness and respect because it goes a long way. Um, I have just been informed, though, that this week, my Mindful Monday segment <laughs> is going to the dogs. Yes, this is a perfect transition into Vanessa because Vanessa, uh, the handler for our therapy dog, and Lennox, our therapy dog, actually kicked Angela out of her Mindful Monday <laughs> segment for uh, this week, this coming week, and the students interviewed Vanessa and Lennox. So, our next guest is Vanessa Mace, and she is our handler for our therapy dog, Lennox, at um, Flipacon School. So just to go over some benefits of therapy dog studies have shown that there are physical benefits to having a therapy dog. So research, research shows that therapy dogs reduce blood pressure and relieve anxiety. There are social benefits, such as promoting self-esteem and peer interactions. There are cognitive benefits, like stimulating memory and problem-solving skills. And there are emotional and mental health benefits, like lifting mood and promoting laughter. Um, so, Vanessa, how did you get into the therapy dog programs or having a therapy dog? Well, it was a natural, intuitive progression. I had gotten a new puppy, and immediately within two weeks, we had a serious, stressful medical issue in our family. And our dog was invaluable to help us be mindful. Um, <clears throat> I should say, you, you can't be upset when you're petting a puppy or playing with a yeah. puppy. And having Lennox in our home was mindfulness personified. Um, knowing Lennox was going to be a large dog, he's a King German Shepherd, we immediately started in kindergarten puppy training, then obedience one, um, and then obedience two. Throughout all that training, his temperament and his demeanor and his socialization skills were top notch. And many times the seed was planted that he would be an excellent therapy dog because he's not a barker, he's a lover, he's just a big cuddly bug. And so, that planted the seed, and I continued on after Obedience 2, um, when I finally passed Obedience 2, and we went into therapy training, and it has been a very wonderful experience for him and for me. So, again, it was a natural, intuitive progression for myself and for Lennox. So, I think I remember you telling me a story about your husband. Did he have a medical yeah. issue to get her, and that's yeah. kind of how... Yeah, exactly. Um, we had had Lennox for 12 weeks. Um, we got him at 10 weeks old. Um, so he was a 12-week-old puppy, and my husband had a stroke. And so our whole family was reeling from this, uh, you know, new environment that we were living in. And everyone, myself as a caretaker, our granddaughter, who lived with us at the time, just dealing with the stress that was going on in our home. And we had this puppy that just made everything better. And so that was like the natural progression that then the training led us to be like, yeah, this is what we're here for. This is what we're meant to do. So what are some things that they, uh, the Alliance for Therapy Dogs or the training, what are some things that they trained Lennox to do to, I guess, ease people or what are some major components of, of the things that he needs to do as a therapy dog? Well, as a therapy dog, one of the main things is, is that he's not a barker. You have some dogs that like to yip and yap, and 
while it's cute, it has to be controlled. If you mm -hmm. can't control that loud noise, you're gonna cause more anxiety. Mm -hmm. Especially with Lennox, since he's a very large dog, we try to keep him around 90, 95 pounds. So he's a big boy, that plus his hair. When he barks, everybody knows it. So the fact that he's not a barker eliminates that issue. He's very cuddly. The things that we had to test on were that he doesn't startle easy. You could drop a huge box of metal things all over the place and make this loud crashing noise. And he'll kind of just look over to see, okay, what's going on there without mm -hmm. a huge reaction. Um, mm -hmm. If a person is laying on the floor and struggling to stand up, as I recently was, he doesn't react to that. He simply notices it and waits. If um, other things he has to deal with is deal with turning wheels, as in a wheelchair or a walker. He doesn't, some dogs like to chase wheels or chase things that are moving. He's not that type of a chaser. Mm -hmm. um, um, he has to not be aggressive in any form to any part of touching on his body. Mm -hmm. So they test him on all these things. They stick their fingers in his paws. They look in his ears. They stare him in the eye. They look at his teeth, they put their hand in his mouth to see what he's gonna do. And he just sits there and he's like, okay, when this is done, it'll be done and no big deal. So those are the things they test him on. How he reacts to noises, how he reacts to stimulus touching him and how he reacts to uh, environments and smells so that he doesn't react and cause additional issues to whomever he is helping. Yesterday, when he was in with the preschoolers, they were shrieking. They were so excited to see him. And he is huge compared to them also. And he was laying really, really flat on his belly. And they were just shrieking. And he was he was not responding to those shrieks. Now you're saying no. he was react to noises. He, he wasn't flinching. My dog would have been jumping through the roof to hear those little shrieks and just the excitement. But he just laid there real real calm and the, the students were all around him, touching him, petting him, and he didn't really react. So you're absolutely right with all of that. Um, what are some examples of ways that Lennox has helped individuals, you, do you think, with social or emotional needs? Can you think of well, an example, a specific one? Absolutely. I'll try to make this quick. One that really sticks out in my mind was at um, a shelter. It was a homeless shelter for families that are newly homeless, dealing with many adult issues. And there was a little boy there and he was uh, within himself, so to speak. And so mm -hmm. with Lennox there, he was just petting him. And I mentioned to him that Lennox had recently had a birthday. This was a couple years back. Uh, when we were first able to go back to the shelter during COVID. And the little boy said, oh, well, I can sing. Can I sing him happy birthday? And I said, absolutely. And this meek little boy started singing and he blossomed and he grew and he sang happy birthday. He could have been on American Idol. It was amazing. And just to see him open up singing and then petting the dog more lovingly, he was, he was out, he was out of that little shell and it just helped him emotionally because he didn't know what was going on where he was at. He just knew that he got to make Lennox happy. He got to make me happy. And he affected us in a positive way, no matter what else was going on. That's amazing. What are some hurdles you have had to overcome with Lennox when entering a school or another setting with kids? Do you feel like there's any hurdles when it comes yes, to that? 
There are, and this goes back to the fact that he's such a large dog. Many mm -hmm. children don't have pets at home or they have pets that may not be trained. They're loving pets, but they may not be trained. So they're a little bit rambunctious. So small children have to be careful around these pets because they could knock them down very easily. Lennox at 90 plus pounds, plus his gear, plus his fur, um, you know, if he goes up on his hind legs, he's over six feet tall. He's a big right. boy. So mm -hmm. one of the hurdles is these children that have not been around pets, much less pets this large, they're intimidated by him. So to get the children to see him as just a cuddly pet, soft, to get him down low to the ground so that they can approach him, he's laying on the ground. There's a lot less intimidation from a dog laying on the ground than a dog standing at attention, especially right. as big as he is. So getting him down low where they can touch him, playing with his tail, me touching his face and his teeth and them seeing that, hey, this is okay, she's right there, this is a safe zone, that helps them to see that um, not all dogs are scary and that they can mm -hmm. be very loving and that you can touch them. You can answer your questions about what's between their paws, what's in their ear, why are their teeth so big? You know, what does their tongue look like? Things like that. I remember a little girl coming in yesterday. You probably remember also. And she looked at him and she said, my neighbor has a dog like this and he bit me. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And I proceeded to tell a little girl that, unfortunately, it isn't that dog's fault. It's that dog's parents' fault mm -hmm. because any dog needs to be trained to be sociable. If they mm -hmm. are training a guard dog, that's one thing. Even a guard dog knows what is a threat and what isn't. A dog yeah. that just nips a neighbor, that's just an untrained dog. And that is not fair to the dog nor the neighbor. So I wanted right. to let her know that she needs to not blame all dogs for that one lapse in judgment of her neighbor. Right. And I think you did a great job also when we communicated prior to you and Lennox coming to the building. You set those five rules for the students about how to interact with Lennox. And we actually had a whole assembly. I had all of the students um, for a holiday assembly, and part of it was about Lennox and respecting his personal space and and um, not getting in his face. And what were some of the other ones that you gave me? Well, some of those, part of it has to do with our insurance with the Alliance mm -hmm. of Therapy Dogs, such as we don't want any children's faces near Lennox's face. Mm -hmm. He is perfectly safe, but it is part of our insurance. So I right. need to make that very paramount that the children, especially when they're the same size as Lennox, when he's sitting, their face is in his face. Mm -hmm. So I have to be very careful about that and make mm -hmm. sure that we are all mindful of where our faces are, even when right. we're petting this big dog. So that right. one was the most important. The second most important is to listen to me as his handler, mm -hmm. because I'm reading the dog, how he's feeling, what he's doing, who's touching him, where they're touching him. Is it respectful? Is it going to be positive? And so I'm adjusting and reading to that so that I can make it go smoothly. So not being in Lennox's face and listening to me were the two most important. The rest of that is, you know, he can't be around other dogs. To introduce yourself to a dog. The part about introducing yourself to a dog properly, that goes for all dogs, for all mm -hmm. animals. You don't want I to run up that one is very important. Right. Yeah. So those things are good to help the child with Lennox and with any dog. And so the other mm -hmm. thing is, is kids don't realize that his tail, when he gets happy and that tail's going everywhere, it's a big tail. If you have a coffee table and Lennox is standing there and he's happy, everything is coming off of that coffee table. 
Yeah. So I had to make sure to let the kids know you have to be aware of where his tail is because it's going to move. You can be like, oh, I can stand here or sit here because his tail isn't here. It might be there in another second or two. So you just have to be mindful of the movement of the dog. And it gives them something to own themselves of their person and where they are in conjunction with where the dog is. Mm -hmm. I think, too, um, when I get questions from parents about the therapy dog, just, you know, in speaking with them, at arrival or dismissal, they don't quite understand how structured it is to bring the dog into the building. It's not just you bringing your quote unquote certified therapy dog into the building and it's a free for all. Like we do have a system. We did, you know, talk to the students about the rules with the dog. We even had the, the groups of students come in by grade level and you kind of did a lesson for them about how to touch the dog, how to introduce yourself. That part was so important. Introducing yourself to the dog before you start touching him, letting letting him sniff you, and then you you start petting him. So it wasn't you just coming into the building, walking around with this dog. We had a system. We had a schedule. We had lessons. And, and it, it's a structured learning experience. It is. And also, Lennox is ready for it. You can't bring any dog from home into a new setting with that many people and that many new experiences and expect that dog to do well, because dogs mm -hmm. are territorial. They are protective yes. of their families. When they see all these other people running around and jostling in a hallway, that is not natural for them. And so you mm -hmm. can't just bring any dog. That's why being a certified dog is important. It's not just, mm -hmm. oh, my family pet is great. I want to bring him into school. That mm -hmm. is not safe. It has right. to be a dog that can handle that type of situation. Absolutely. Well, these have been really great conversations and exchanges, and uh, we are going to continue on the other side of our break. You've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. We will be right back. And we're back on Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University, here in the studio with Fran Gavin, my co-host. I'm Tim Fredericks, along with doctoral student Krista Wayne and her two very special guests. And uh, we are going to wrap up this show with our final segment, and I'll turn it back over to Krista now. Okay, Vanessa, so yesterday was the first day that we really had a a structured Lennox visit into classrooms, and we incorporated some reading time. So research also shows that therapy dogs are good for students uh, retaining information and problem solving, and with their reading skills, there are actually programs that are called Reading with Dogs, and students are motivated to read um, when a dog is involved to it and it relaxes them to help them decode and not panic when they get to words that they don't know. So what are some things that you observed when you were in the lower primary grades yesterday with Lennox um, during the reading blocks? Well, right now at Lopet Kong, Lennox is still very novel for the kids. And so he caused a bit of excitement. I mean, yes, they're <laughs> petting him, but it wasn't, it wasn't as um, structured in their reading time. However, I do have the experience of Lennox growing with my granddaughter. When, when he first joined our home, she was only six. And so the two of them would read books together, the words she knew, the words that she made up as she looked at the pictures. And as the two of them got into a rhythm of doing it every day for 30 minutes, 
it became a fun time. It became second nature. And that's where she got the real benefits of reading with the dog nearby. Now, mind, mind you, this was before he was even a, a certified therapy dog. This was just our mm -hmm. home dog. Um, mm -hmm. But he was going through the training. And the two of them together, when they got into this rhythm, she would get a book. She would call him. They would both just lay down on the floor together and start reading or even lay on his dog bed and start reading. And so that rhythm, the repetition, that's mm -hmm. what was the most beneficial. So occasionally showing up is good. It helps the kids. It gives them mm -hmm. a novel experience. But a regular repetition with the dog there with them where they're you know, absentmindedly caressing him while they're reading the book or mm -hmm. reading to him and checking him for understanding, which he does. <laughs> he understands mm -hmm. when they're talking to him and when he gets it. And that is a good response for the kids because it's immediate positive feedback of them reading the story to another person. Um, so that repetition is what we need to strive for. Right now, he's still very novel with the kids, yeah. especially the ones that don't have pets. Right. Right. And I feel like a dog is a non-judgmental party for students to Absolutely. read to, especially in the lower primary grades. You have some students, I always taught, I have a lot of experience in kindergarten and first grade, and students who are struggling to decode words or read um, with high fluency would panic or get anxious when they got to words that they didn't know. And I remember um, reading an article years ago about reading buddies, bringing in stuffed animals to be their reading buddies, because obviously a stuffed animal is a non-judgmental party because they're not going to respond to you when you're struggling to read. And I feel like a therapy dog kind of gives that same feel. Yeah, the same feel plus a lick on the hand, you know, because right. it's no big deal. You know, move on right. to the next word. I'll lick your hand. I'll lick the page and what's on the next page. And you move on. It's not a big deal. Right. So, um, Angela and Vanessa, you've been uh, huge parts in the SEL program here at LOPACCOG this year and kind of bringing it back and looping back to the leadership role um, and just thinking about the district as a whole and the students as a whole and their needs and me kind of focusing on that with uh, Dr. Fredericks leading me this year at LOPACCOG. Um, after discussing the SEL program and the therapy dog program, how do you two feel like you could work together moving forward and kind of join these two programs to benefit our students? So from my, from my end, from, you know, like a, a school counseling perspective, one of the challenges that I, I see all the time is we, we focus a lot on individual student emotion, right? Oh, um, you know, I'm really struggling with math. Okay, take a deep breath, let's calm our brain. Um, because, you know, if, if, we're, if we're panicking, we're not gonna get through this, right? But, but then the next part of it is too, then if they have these peer conflicts, it's, um, well, this one said this, I don't like that. We kind of get this bickering back and forth. With the important thing I'm starting to see with Lennox is they're starting to care about something other than themselves. Um, you know, I have to be calm around him. If I, if I talk in a calm demeanor, he's going to respond to me positively. If I, you know, give a gentle touch, I'm going to get a positive response. Mm -hmm. those, those are the things that I'm looking forward to, to seeing the transition in our students, then how they communicate with each other, because they're learning to care about something outside of them. Are you kind of talking about 
empathy lessons, almost like teaching them to recognize empathy. Yes, exactly. So Vanessa, what do you think? How do you feel like you could incorporate that? Or after listening to <laughs> listening to our segment about our social emotional learning that we do when Lanax isn't here, how do you feel like you fit into that? I think that would be great. That's something that is more, rather than a full classroom setting, that's a more intimate setting with two or three students at a time for 15 minutes. Two or three students for 15 minutes is like 20 different visits to an entire classroom because there's so much else going on. But that intense 15 minutes with just a few students to help them resolve something, that is invaluable. That's something that would take place, you know, um, in a counselor setting or in, a, in an empty room where it's just that concept to work through and have Lennox be the facilitator, really, of the discussion. And I'm wondering if we could use that data that Pika Pack is giving us and kind of not only adjust our lessons, but kind of look at that as a whole and think about where Lennox could fit into that data. What do you think, Angela? You know, yes, the the Pika Pack has very you know structured, guided lessons. But sometimes a teacher in their classroom needs something outside of that lesson, maybe as a whole classroom, maybe with a few individual students. So, you know, it's going to be important to, I think, with the gauging of Pika Pack, even with just the daily check-ins, if I'm seeing a group of students that maybe are feeling nervous, why is that group of students feeling nervous? Um, and if they're feeling nervous or around each other or they're feeling conflicted around each other, that would be a great way to use that data to then, you know, hey, Vanessa, I have this group of students. When, when do you think maybe we can try to, to meet with them and see if we can't bring Lennox in to just be that calming person for them? Yeah, scheduling more time is always good. Along with that, having um, additional therapy dogs to come in to, you know, pick up the slack because one dog doing all of that for that many children, that's a that's a big deal. Um, but trying to get more therapy dogs or get more people in training for therapy, um, if we can, you know, put that plant that seed in other people so that you can have more therapy dogs in the Lopat district. You know, that was such a struggle. The most difficult part of me trying to implement the therapy dog program at Lopakong was actually finding a dog. I connected with a few districts who were in the area who had implemented therapy dogs or quote unquote reading with dogs. And they basically said it was very difficult to find a dog and you needed a personal connection, which is kind of where I found you, Vanessa. We had a teacher at the middle school who you have a direct con connection with. It was, I was Googling, I was researching, I was going on different groups. I had my name, I was filling out Google Forms. It is so hard to find a therapy dog right now. Why do you think that is? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with therapy dogs for the most part. Either you buy a dog that's already trained as a therapy dog, which are quite expensive, or you go through all the training yourself, which again, is sometimes expensive. Um, there's mm -hmm. a lot of rules you have to follow with the dogs, not just their shots, but their grooming and their temperament and all these other um, obedience classes that you go through. But once you're through that, once you have somebody that is willing to devote that time, oftentimes they just don't know what to do with their time. You have a lot of volunteer people 
that that want to give back to the community, that want to volunteer. They just don't know how uh, they can go about doing it. So um, getting the information out and saying, hey, is there anybody in this district that wants to have something to do, wants to give back to the community, mm -hmm. um, especially the elderly that have maybe a small pet, a lap dog, a smaller dog, a, a cat, anything like that that would they want to be a part of the school system around the children and have more of a social environment. Those are the people you want to um, plant the seed. Do you want to have a mm -hmm. therapy pet and, and join Lopat district and help the kids? So a therapy dog, can you certify your personal dog? Say I have a five-year-old dog. Well, I know that I have a five-year-old dog, but she <laughs> she's way too hyper to be a therapy dog. I'll tell you that right now. But if you have a personal dog who is, you know, middle age, can that dog then be trained as a therapy dog or do they need to be trained as a puppy? No, you can train that dog. What you're looking for is the temperament and the demeanor. And so what you do is you go to lessons to make sure that that dog is obedient and that the handler has control of that dog. Then you can apply to Alliance of Therapy Dogs is one. There's many others, but you apply to them. And then you go on what they call tests, observance tests. And so what you do, what Lennox and I did was we go and this was during COVID. So it was an elongated uh, certification process. We would meet them at Home Depot, which was open at finally open at the time. So we had masks on, which again is another wow. thing. Dogs have to be okay to be around people with masks and their yeah. face covered. We would meet at Home Depot with the observance people that are observing, they would have another dog that is certified and trained and we would have the dogs walk around together and see how Lennox greeted people and they would drop things on the floor at Home Depot and you know, just in this environment that's chaotic and mm -hmm. see how the dog reacts. So you have to do that in a number of environments. We did it at Home Depot. We did it at a, a hospice center. We did it at the, it's like an outdoor farm garden where we were walking out in the woods and there's squirrels running around and leaves going by and um, people gardening. We, those were our three test areas and Lennox passed his tests because his demeanor and his reaction to the noises, the sounds and the people was acceptable. It was within the means of what a therapy dog can respond to. And once he passed that, um, you know, he was certified as a therapy dog. Even if you don't have all the obedience training ahead of time, you can still pass that if you have a good relationship with your dog and your dog responds appropriately. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's this uh, stereotype that therapy dogs are, you know, golden retrievers or some kind of lab because a lot of the students and staff, they were kind of shocked to see that Lennox was this huge German Shepherd. Yep. Well, most people have golden golden retrievers yeah. or German Shepherds. It's whatever the most popular dog is. Statistically, that dog is going to be more apt to be whatever certification because there's more of them in the families that are out and about. Yeah, yeah. So Angela and Vanessa, uh, most of our conversation today has revolved around our student population. But moving forward, thinking about our SEL and the therapy dog and just the social and emotional and mental health of, of the entire district, how do you think we could benefit the staff through uh, Pika Pack and Lennox? Do you have any ideas? So, so you know, I, I watch 
our our teachers um when lennox comes through the door they just their demeanor changes they bring yeah, they, they get excited it. oh the dog's coming to my classroom today <laughs> um so you know as as much as our students get excited our teachers are just equally and if not more excited um you know mm -hmm. it brings a different teaching dimension to to their classroom something that oh i have i've never gotten to do this this is something maybe i wanted to try um so you know i think it's it's a nice support for them too. It's a nice change of pace for them. Um, but let's face it, there there are days maybe where we're feeling down as a teacher, um, okay. just we're struggling to connect with that with that student. How can I help? So, looking at first of all, Pack, with that data that we collect just on emotions in general. You know, I see, I can bring to a teacher. You know. I see this the student is really excited today. Maybe you want to ask them what what's so happy today and maybe they can start building that connection or you know I, I see that this student is feeling nervous. You have a math test or something today. Maybe they can pull them aside and say, "Listen, I know we have this test coming up. We've been studying together. You have it." So not only am, am I building that connection with the students and then trying to bridge that gap between the student and then their parents, but we can make that connection with with the teachers as well. Mm -hmm. An another idea that I was thinking about was having maybe training after school program or some kind of pet training for the students where even if they don't have a dog at home, they can come in and they can train with a pet to learn how to be around animals and just to have that um, feeling of accomplishment of training with an animal. You know, mm -hmm. one student has a dog, maybe those parents want their dogs trained. Um, it, it can't be the most outrageous, unruly dog, but right. some kind of start, some kind of beginning to get to that so that you can have kids that are coming in to train their own animals, and then they can take that well-being home with them. They, if they do already have an animal, they can pet that animal and do their reading at home. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think that we covered a lot today with social emotional learning. If you are listening and you are unaware of social emotional learning and therapy dogs in schools, I feel like now you know, we covered a lot. Um, and I wanna thank Angela and Vanessa for being here with me and working with me for um, to, to help our students and our staff at schools with their social, emotional and, and mental health because you know, I know that you guys both put in a lot of work at Lopat Kong, uh, Angela in the classrooms, and Vanessa, I know that you take a long drive to get to us, and I know that it's a lot of work for you, but our students and staff are so happy um, to have both of you at Lopat Kong. So I want to thank both of you for being here today and for just investing in our students and staff and district. And I would like to also thank uh, Krista for uh, curating this show and Angela and Vanessa for joining us. Uh, you have been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Good evening.